It's Muppeturgy, and we paid you off to listen to a very special episode about the Dom DeLuise episode of The Muppet Show. Please note, we're not actually paying you. <laughs> However, we are glad that you're here. I'm David Levy. Here today with me are... Adam Grossworth. Christy Bauer. And Michal Richardson. We are here this week to talk about Season 2, Episode 11 of The Muppet Show. This was produced the week of August 9th, 1977. I had just turned two years old, two days before. Um, Happy belated birthday. Thanks. It aired in New York on October 17th, 1977. It was the fifth episode to air in between Edgar Bergen and Nancy Walker. Uh, Elsewhere on the dial that night, the NBC movie of the week was, in fact, part two of a miniseries, 79 Park Avenue, starring Leslie Ann Warren, Mark Singer, Michael Constantine, and Raymond Burr. And if that is not 1977, I don't know what is. Uh, It was based on a novel from the 50s by Harold Robbins, who is a very popular author of the day. A poor New York teenager of the mid-1930s is forced into prostitution despite sincere efforts to make a living and ultimately becomes the city's most famous madam. I did not write that. I, I think sex work is a perfectly sincere effort to make a living, and being the city's most famous madam sounds kind of awesome. That's the Raymond Burr role, I assume. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the, the Mar- I mean, the Mark Singer role in a different movie, but uh, no, it was Leslie Ann Warren. They called it 79 Park Avenue because Call Me the Most Famous Madam was taken. <laughs> <laughs> and 69 Park Avenue is a different movie. Actually, it's the same movie. They just couldn't get it past the censors. Uh, and later that night, relevant to our interest, Steve Martin was the guest host of The Tonight Show. To introduce our guest star, that's what I'm here to do. So it really makes me happy to introduce to you. Dom DeLuise was a comic actor closely associated with Mel Brooks and with Burt Reynolds, who later in life also had a second career as a celebrity chef. Born in Brooklyn in 1933 to working-class Italian immigrants, Dominic DeLuise caught the acting bug in junior high school plays. Depending on which bio you believe, it was either playing Scrooge in A Christmas Carol or playing Peter Cottontail in a Easter pageant. That led him to the High School of the Performing Arts. After high school, he tried to go right into acting, but after a few years of auditions leading nowhere, he enrolled in Adams' alma mater, Tufts University. Oh, really? Yep. We do not claim him at all. That never comes up. That's (laughs) fascinating. fascinating. (laughs) Yeah. Get on that. But like, really, any famous alum they cling to. (laughs) Never knew that. He didn't give up auditioning, though, and he landed a gig at the Cleveland Playhouse, where he had the opportunity to sharpen his skills, performing in everything from Shakespeare to musicals, and also the Shakespearean musical Kiss Me Kate. While performing in Summerstock in Provincetown, Massachusetts, he met and fell in love with actress Carol Arthur. They married and eventually had three sons, who all also became actors, and they stayed together for all of Dom's life. In 1958, he got his start in children's television as the final host of the daily show Tinker's Workshop, which had been created in 1954 for New York's Channel 7 by a pre-Captain Kangaroo Bob Keeshan. In 1959, he made his New York stage debut as a replacement in the off-Broadway musical Little Mary Sunshine. Over the next few years, he'd appear in a number of shows, both on Broadway and off, including appearing alongside Barbara Streisand when she made her stage debut in the short-lived Another Evening with Harry Stoons. He made the leap to film in 1964, gaining early notice for his roles in The Glass Bottom Boat and What's So Bad About Feeling Good. In 1970, he appeared in the Mel Brooks film The Twelve Chairs, which would initiate a partnership that would span six films over three decades, including Blazing Saddles, Spaceballs, and Robin Hood Men in Tights. By the time he appeared on The Muppet Show, he was a familiar face from the movies and the variety show circuit, with a couple of failed sitcoms to his name as well. 
His star would continue to rise in the 80s as he formed another fruitful comedy partnership with Burt Reynolds, beginning with Smokey and the Bandit 2, and including Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, Cannibal Run, and others. In that decade, he also became a familiar voice to my generation through a number of animated films, including The Secret of Nim, An American Tale, Oliver and Company, and All Dogs Go to Heaven. In the late 80s, he wrote two cookbooks and released a cooking CD-ROM, and he cemented his reputation as a celebrity chef by appearing on talk show cooking segments as well. Dom DeLuise died in 2009 at the age of 75. You know, Dom DeLuise was sort of a constant presence when I was growing up between the animated movies and the Mel Brooks movies and uh, the sort of goofy comedies he made in the 80s. Uh, he, he was just sort of one of those faces and voices that was always around. Do any of you have specific Dom DeLuise feelings or memories? Well, you've managed to solve a, a decades-long mystery for me. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> well, uh, in my head, I initially, when I was a child, thought of Dom DeLuise as a chef. And I remember being told, no, no, he, he's he's an actor. He's in movies. And then, you know, I saw All Dogs Go to Heaven and, you know, these various things that came out when we were kids. And I was like, oh. And, and then I, for the longest time, honestly, until like five minutes ago, <laughs> <laughs> thought that I was confusing him with Paul Prudhomme. Which is a common thing, because they do look like each other. Yeah. So I was like, oh, there's a guy who kind of looked like Dom DeLuise. But like, no, Dom DeLuise was also a chef. <laughs> I feel vindicated. Well, I can't wait till your mom hears this and, and knows that you were right. <laughs> Considering I mainly associate him with that one scene in Blazing Saddles where he plays the director... I am astonished to learn that he was married to a woman for many decades. I am I am a child of 21 Jump Street, so I, 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 I well, this doesn't mean he's straight, but I did, of course, know that he had a son, Peter DeLuise. He had multiple sons, in fact, but, um, but, but yes, I, I, I knew, I knew of him first from all of this stuff from our childhood, um, and then was like, oh, that's Dom DeLuise's son when I watched 21 Jump Street because I was a strange, I guess, early teenager. So you know, <laughs> his Muppet movie role is also, you know one of the most famous scenes in the Muppet movie. Right. He's the one who kicks off the whole adventure. Yes. The alligators scene. And, you know, I've been doing this thing where on weeks when my schedule allows it, I try to watch or listen to one thing from the guest star that I haven't previously seen. So this week I chose the movie Sextet, which was one of Mae West's final movies where Don DeLuise has a big featured role, as do many other Muppet Show guest stars. It is exactly my kind of shit because it's like a bonkers late 70s musical extravaganza that doesn't really make any sense and feels like it was both shot on no budget, but also spent a million dollars on things like song rights and actors. It uses pre-existing music, including at least one song from the Beatles. Ringo Starr is also in it, although it's not a Ringo song and he doesn't sing it. Anyway, this movie is about Mae West as a famous Hollywood sex pot. And she's in her 80s at the time that she is filming this, uh, who is making the news because she is about to marry her sixth husband, played by a very young Timothy Dalton. But all of her five previous husbands keep showing up on their wedding night, and she has to solve different problems for them. And Timothy Dalton thinks that she's cheating on him, but she's not really. But also, she has to bring about world peace by helping to broker some kind of like UN-style deal. Uh, as I said, absolutely bonkers. Like the Muppet Show also includes a disco rendition of Babyface. Anyway, <laughs> if this sounds like your kind of thing, 
you should definitely seek it out. If it doesn't sound like your kind of thing, you're all right. <laughs> I, I call that genre the greenlit by a bag of cocaine movies. Accurate. So catnip for everybody creating and listening to this podcast, essentially. Yeah. Why don't you get me Christy, how'd this episode go for you? Fine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the words, Went down smooth. Yeah. The words that kept coming to mind throughout the episode were, were like, sweet, fine, great. Like I had a, a perfectly lovely time, but at the same time, it wasn't much to write home about. I mean, I enjoyed Dom DeLuise. He clearly enjoyed being with the Muppets and that's always nice to see. And, you know, there were, were notable things within the episode. Uh, you know, it was really great to see Janice finally coming into her own, but I'm just not sure that this one's going to stick for, with me for very long. For me, this was like the opposite of last week that like, so last week, like all the bits were really good and they kind of didn't add up to anything for me this week. Like all the bits are kind of meh, but I came away feeling really great about the episode. I think it boils down to the backstage plot. I've said this before. I think I've said it on this podcast, but maybe I actually haven't that like, I, I like the Muppet show the best when it's like a really good works workplace backstage comedy, which I think I said this during season one, when like that wasn't actually what the show was doing at all. And it's starting to do it here and it's going to, I think, grow into doing it more and more. And like, this is just, this is a great backstage plot. My only complaint is that Dom DeLuise is not involved in it really at all. He gets one little scene and that it doesn't intersect with any of the stuff on stage, which is mostly kind of mediocre, I think. But like, because of that, like, it just, I come away feeling really good about it because of how strong that is. And I agree with you about Dom DeLuise, Christy, like, and how much fun he seems to be having. But I also am like, eh. <laughs> These bits are fine. You're kind of annoying, but like, whatever. Michal, how about you? Yeah, I have really warm feelings about this episode. I think it's one of the best Muppet Show episodes we've seen so far. Um, there are some fantastic, really Muppety bits of weirdness in some of my favorite Muppet songs. There's a guest star who is absolutely delighted to play along. And yeah, this backstage plot has real stakes. And I mean, thus far, I think some of my favorite episodes have not involved very heavy backstage plots and have more been just about how much zaniness can you stuff into one Muppet show. But uh, this really left me feeling like, wow, this is uh, there. This is up there. David? Yeah, I don't know. It was fine. I think that given the choice between a Muppet show guest star who does music and a Muppet show guest star who does sketch comedy, I will always prefer music. And so even though this episode had a lot of music in it, it wasn't my kind of music. And so the weight of the episode sort of felt off to me. I liked it. It was fine. But I, I think like all of you, it just sort of uh, kind of did not leave a huge impression on me. Dom DeLuise. Dom DeLuise. Oh, 18 seconds to curtain, Mr. DeLuise. So Scooter opens the door to find uh, the head of Dom DeLuise being garnished by the hands of the Swedish chef as he's preparing him for dinner, I guess, stuffing an apple into his mouth, which we will see again later. Statler and Waldorf have a fun opening gag. Why do we keep doing this? <laughs> I feel for them. Uh, Gonzo's trumpet blows more smoke. This time it's orange and maybe there's some fire in it. This looked really weird to me in HD in a way that like the other, I mean, first of all, why are we doing the same gag again? Still no Pope. Still no Pope. The Pope is now <laughs> Elmo? No. Ernie? Who's the Pope now? What's happening? I just it made me wonder if like they were actually recycling old footage and like color correcting it somehow, but that doesn't make any sense because 
it couldn't be CGI, and then like Gonzo would also be the wrong color. I just it looked really strange. That's it all. It did got. seem like they tried to throw some flames in there into the middle of it somehow. Yeah, maybe that was it. I often find the colors look weird on Disney Plus, and I just chalked it up to that. That's pretty. Yeah, that's probably what it was. But like the green was so pretty. <laughs> We're all agreed that Kermit as Pope was the the best looking of these. Yeah, Muppet Show backstage. So backstage, Scooter's got a little bit of a side hustle going on with some extra business from Miss Piggy. Oh, you really love her, don't they? Yeah, must be an easy house. Oh, 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 no, please. Oh, you are too kind. Kissy, kissy. Forget it. Kermit's gone. Oh, did it work? Nope. But how about that audience I paid off for you, huh? (laughs) They did just what I told them to. What'd you tell him? To go hog wild. I love Scooter's little nerp. <laughs> and I love how casually cruel Kermit is with that um, easy house comment. <laughs> like, she's not there, so it's like not, it's not such a dick move. But it's, it's like, oh, they love Piggy? Wow. They're easy. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> I love the little bit of puppeteering magic that happens when um, Scooter is following Miss Piggy backstage and he gets caught in the feathers in her hat and does this little coughing and wiping feathers out of his face (laughs) thing. Because there's just so much hat and Scooter is so small. It's delightful. This is also as good a time as any to point out that Piggy's hair looks great in this episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Everything Piggy's wearing and this is, I mean, this happens after a musical number that we'll talk about in a second, but like her dress and her hat in this, it's its like a, it's throwbacky because she's doing a music hall number, but it also feels very 70s at the same time. And I love everything about it. There's also a lot of opportunity in this backstage plot, starting with this scene, where we're seeing things from different angles and different combinations of Muppets than we usually do in ways that make it feel really dynamic. And unsurprisingly, this is an episode directed by Philip Casson, who has really sort of made that his hallmark this season. When they're having this conversation, I, th- I think this is the conversation when, like, Rolf is just kind of, like, hanging out in the balcony above them, like, doing his thing. Uh, and it's just, I don't know, it, like, helps make the theater feel bigger and more alive. Mm-hmm. They also walk, right, it starts, it starts in the wings, right, that shot we've seen a few times before, like, looking into the wings with the the, the lighting rig there. And then... And then they're like in go the, around in, the corner, right? Yeah, and they're in the backstage set, and they're walking like past the desk towards the dressing rooms. Like it's mm-hmm. a, it's a tracking shot, which almost never happens. It's really cool. It is really cool. I noted that when they change shots, they follow her off stage and into the backstage, and you don't even notice it the first time around. It's pretty nifty, and it heightens the drama. I mean, if we've been saying that this episode feels like it has real stakes, I think it's partly due to the. Cinematography. I mean, partly due to lots of things, but partly due to the cow in Veterinarian's Hospital. That's definitely oh. <laughs> contributing to the mistakes. Miss <laughs> Piggy's scheme to establish herself as a star is taking over the entire theater. She's been paying Scooter to write her so much fan mail and send her so many flowers that she needs a whole new dressing room to change in. May I use your dressing room to change in? What? Well, you see, my room is all filled with flowers. You understand, don't you, my dear Dominique? Don't, my dear Dominique, me. Oh, what's wrong? I mean, I'm the guest star on the show. Nobody seems to notice. The audience is filled with big fans. I like this emerging theme that being a guest star on The Muppet Show is actually slightly terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Like, we gave Steve Martin a hard time for being a dick, but, but also... 
like they did not treat him well. George Burns was very good natured about the fact that this awful reporter suddenly appeared in his dressing room, but that's not okay. <laughs> like it's starting <laughs> to become a thing. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that he claims that he's in the smaller dressing room, but it's definitely the same dressing room that every guest star has been in, just has like a little more furniture in it. <laughs> well, has the same pictures on the walls. <laughs> and an extra divider so that Miss Piggy can change. And a little basket of fruit. We also get to see Miss Piggy's underwear in this scene, which was a little unnerving. Because she throws it over the divider when she's changing. We don't see it on her. But Dom DeLuise does like pick it up and sort of display it. <laughs> Please tell me I'm not the only one who noticed that. <laughs> oh, no. I was entertained by it. I didn't find it problematic. <laughs> I mean, the only thing that I found problematic in the entire episode was that they get into bickering and then ribbing each other about their weights, which is not great. But they, the way they fight in this scene and then end up spilling a basket of fruit all over the place and Dom DeLuise angrily eats a banana after Miss Piggy leaves, it's great. He does stick an apple in her mouth, which was upsetting and offensive on behalf of pigs, but also the Swedish chef had done that to him earlier in the episode, so maybe that makes it a little bit more okay. All right, it's time for phase two of Miss Piggy's plan. She and Scooter have a conversation outside the dressing rooms, conveniently while Kermit is down the stairs by his desk. Uh, this is engineered for Kermit to overhear, and you can tell. Well, I just don't know, Scooter. My loyalty is, of course, to Kermit, but this other show has offered me a contract at twice the money. Well, you are a superstar. Oh, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. <laughs> yes, you are. She's wearing this great fur stole while she's hamming it up. She's trying very much to be a superstar. Anyway, Kermit catches on pretty quickly. Uh, Scooter, that performance by you and Miss Piggy was terrible. Oh, gee, I didn't think it was that bad. I missed one line, but... Oh, no. Scooter, you going to tell me what's going on? No, I promised. Uh, I'll give you a raise. The flowers are fake. The audience was paid off. I wrote the fan letters, and Miss Piggy doesn't have another offer. I like your style. Man, Scooter is just totally unreliable. Why would anybody ask him for any anything of this nature? He folds so fast. <laughs> and Kermit likes his style. He's probably the only one who would do it for what she's offering, which True. is likely nothing. Yeah. I mean, she paid him to pay off the audience. How much do you think they paid the audience? Considering that Miss Piggy gets paid nothing. I mean, assuming that she has the same contract as Fozzy. I mean, listen, I've been part of papered houses, and uh, sometimes all it takes is the free ticket, which we've already established is maybe what it only ever costs for The Muppet Show. But sometimes all it takes is like the free ticket plus a little bit of swag. Like, give them... You know, a nice I Heart Piggy button in there on her side, you know? Drink tickets. <laughs> Do they have concessions in the Muppet Show? They will, but not now. <laughs> like I said, we would see them eating popcorn or something right, in, the, right. in the audience shot. Anyway, Kermit puts a stop to all this. He also kind of accidentally nearly just kills the entire Muppet Show. And just really stops it in its tracks. Oh, Kermie, I am so sorry. I didn't want you to hear that. Oh, that terrible boy. Uh, yeah, well, actually, I'm kind of glad that I did, because I have come to a decision that I think will make you very happy. Oh? I've decided to let you go. You have left! 
Well, you see, Piggy, I don't want to stand in your way. <laughs> Good luck, kid. And then there's this tearful goodbye. I mean, tearful on the part of Miss Piggy. Kermit is really uh, not bothered by any of this, which is upsetting all on its own. Well, but I mean, he's not serious. He he's he's excited that he got her. I was very into this whole scene, right? Like she deserves it. It's very clever on his part. And then this happens. Does this mean you want your job back? Oh, good. Uh, uh, incidentally, though, uh, you will have to take you will have to take a pay cut. Well, sure. I mean, you know, if you could afford to pay off the audience and buy all those flowers and the fur and the mail and all that stuff, then I think you could. That's not how jobs work. No. What she does with her money is none of your business, Kermit. I mean, there are some jobs that work like that where people can decide, oh, they're driving that fancy car. They're being paid too much. But that's not how jobs should work. No. I mean, I think on on second viewing, I realize like he's not like that's how he's letting her know that that he is onto her. And that the whole like that he's not actually letting her go. The whole thing is a joke, and it's actually. I don't know. The joke is the word I'd use. Well, but like she, she pulled one over on him or tried to, and then he is pulling one over on her here. And that's I think that that moment is him letting her off the hook. I mean, she was trying to deceive him. Well, I mean, I guess it was both professional and romantic ambition. It was at least somewhat to get him to believe that she's somebody who needs to be paid attention to. Yeah, but it was complete deception and like and the and claiming to have another another offer that she didn't have. Oh yeah, as a, no, as, I'm not as saying... a bad negotiating tactic if you don't actually have one because somebody could say I can't match your offer, go take the other job. Oh, and then where are you? For yeah, sure. The problem was that then he retaliated. That's that's where the issue comes. Like he had every right to call her on her bullshit, but to then say, like, well, fine, I'll hire you back at less and blah, blah, blah. Like, that sucks. Like, don't do that. Well, right. But I mean, that's what I'm saying. I think I, I, the generous reading of that of that line is that he's not serious. That's just how he's telling her that he knows that she was lying. I think that is more generous than he's doing it in deserves, a, given everything we know about Kermit. Up to this point. I mean, he's, he's still doing it in a cruel way. But, like, I think that there's sort of like a, a, a ribbing happening there. Or ribbiting. <laughs> I just have a hard time thinking critically about this scene at all because all I can think about is in this episode's crowd scenes, there's a dead droop right in the center. It's terrible. <laughs> well, yes and no, he's he's like quasi dead. He he's like <laughs> vibrating weirdly, right? Like right, he's mostly dead. Yeah, there's that like, dead chicken right next to him, which is way more upsetting. Right. Yeah, like well, Droop looks looks, you know like a bon vivant next to the dead chicken because Droop is sort of like <laughs> vibrating in his seat and just not actively interacting with the show. Like, Droop kind of looks like he's sleeping. <laughs> the, the chicken looks like Rick or Mortis is set in. Yeah. This is the same audience configuration as uh, as last week, though there's it, there's some different shots. Uh, we were confused. Uh, if you've looked at last week's show notes, you'll, you'll see the caption on the GIF. Like, the chicken was in deep shadow and we had some internal debate after we recorded about what it actually was. <laughs> I'm um, still not convinced it was. A no, I, but in this week's episode, uh, the, the shadow lifts the, the, the Muppet yes. next to it, casting the shadow moves in a different way. And you, it's pretty clearly a chicken, but it's so weird. It's so, the audience shots are so weird. I know they had no time. And not and enough puppeteer hands 
I know, I understand. But they made some such weird choices. Have, yeah. Some have hands in them and some clearly like somebody could spare just an elbow to shake the puppet a little <laughs> just bit. Like, <laughs> and then there's, I, I think it's Shaky Sanchez who's next to Droop. And at one point, whoever's operating him just like has him like bash his head into Droop to try to make Droop look like he's moving. <laughs> well, and that's like, but that's why like Droop, make, Droop is a better choice because Droop like, Droop will pick up ambient motion right. because of what Droop is, but like that the chicken just sits there. It's so weird. It's a we lot. We've thought about this far, far more than anyone ever has in the and last I'm, 40 years. <laughs> I'm assuming that the dead Muppets in the audience were not paid off by Miss Piggy. You never know. Maybe yeah. they took the money and ran. To ran back the to their afterworld. <laughs> oh, maybe she's paying them in drugs. It is the 70s. <laughs> yeah, paid off by bags of cocaine. <laughs> sure. That's not cocaine that makes them act like that. <laughs> well, it doesn't do too much yeah, of it, fair. I suppose. Well, we've learned a lot today. This week's jaunt to the music hall, strangely enough, is not in the UK spot. <laughs> my old man shoving things inside the van, which we'd often done before, let me remark. <laughs> we packed all that could be packed in the van, and that's a fact. And we got inside all we could get inside. <laughs> then we packed all we could pack on the tailboard at the back. Here there wasn't any room for me to ride. My old man said, follow the van. Don't dilly dally on the way. The song's about sex, right? That's what I was assuming. That's why Stetler and Waldorf laugh when she talks about how much they could fit inside the van. From what I can determine, yes and no on the is this about sex. So there are a couple of different interpretations to the end of that verse because so it's like yeah so the the idea is is like you know this poor couple they have to leave they have to move quickly because they don't have enough money for the rent they fill up the van there's not enough room for both of them so she's supposed to follow with their bird in a bird cage but she stops at a pub halfway and decides that it that she shouldn't that it would be ill-advised to approach a volunteer policeman because they're less trustworthy than a regular policeman also volunteer policemen didn't know that was a thing that's still a thing they have them in new york really what yeah yeah i mean or at least they did as of like 10 years ago one of my friends from college was one wow okay they're called auxiliary police in new york oh i have heard of that well apparently in 1919 London, the volunteer guys were less reliable than the regular guys. So one read on this is that a volunteer guy might take advantage of you when you're drunk, or because they're volunteer guys, they might be less qualified to give directions. (laughs) Sure. I was just shocked to discover that vans were a thing in 1919 when the song was written. Yeah. Turns out uh, the earliest records of a van as a vehicle in English are... From the mid-19th century, 1829, where it was a covered wagon for transporting goods. Wow. The more you know. (laughs) So, yeah, this is from 1919. Uh, It's by uh, 
lyrics were written by Fred W. Lee. Music was by Charles Collins. And this was another song that was made popular by Marie Lloyd, who was the originator of The Boy I Love is Up in the Gallery. Could you tell us the full title of the song again, Chrissy? Uh, Sure, sure. So uh, there are three titles to this song, depending on who you ask. It's either uh, Don't Dilly Dally on the Way, uh, The Cock Lennett Song, or... My old man said, follow the van. It's a shame the Cochlean it didn't fit inside the van. It's funny. If if you look up the, the cover of the original sheet music, it says, you know, don't dilly dally on the way. The Cochlean it song. And I'm like, I, I just feel like the bird is such a small part of this. <laughs> I will. Uh, That's his whole problem, right? I'm going to drop a link in the show notes to a sciencebase.com article called Me Old Cocklinet, which explains more about the bird mentioned in this song. Maybe it's a tiny bird, but it might need a really big cage. This number, uh, which I found charming, and we talked about her outfit already, does feel like a bit of a budget choice, right? The, the backdrop is recycled. It's the basic stage set. I assume the song was in the public domain. It's the same audience shots as... Last week, and I mean, they they were new shots because they were singing along, but you know the same the same grouping. It just I just wondered if this was like a oh we need another sketch and we're out of money. Considering how much this figures into the backstage plot, this is the first thing that the audience sees of Miss Piggy. That's and true. Sets the whole thing in motion. Like they must have known that they needed a Miss Piggy song to set the whole backstage plot in motion. That's true. That's true. And it's like, and there's like a bunch of different shots and camera angles. You know, sometimes she's close up, sometimes you see her full body. So. Um, it's actually doing a lot, but I just was sort of, you know, I've started to kind of think about like, where are they in production? What were they doing? I did not care for this. Even though it's a it sing along? Yeah, I mean, music hall is not my thing, but as music hall goes. It, I, it's, and I just felt like all the stuff back and forth with Sattler and Waldorf at the beginning was like, they were trying to like reassure us that it's a good song. True. And like, <laughs> it's like a little bit like, you know, the Muppet Doth protest too much. It's just so much of it in a row. You know, <laughs> you know, they're running out of songs when they're going back to the same. Well, like it's the same writers, the same art. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? We don't say that every time they come up with a new Johnny Mercer or Jerome Kern song. Sure. I think it's just that like, this is a genre that doesn't speak to some of us in the same way. Yeah. This is true of every song in this episode, except for one for me. Yeah. Yeah. Same. So with that in mind, (laughs) (laughs) uh, what's in the UK spot this week is a bit of a curiosity. We hear the tears that her mother is shedding Are because of the old lady's glee When will it be? 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 We've been invited to Henrietta's wedding Though she can't tell us where it may be So you wouldn't know this, but judging by the performance, but this is actually a South African folk song. <laughs> what? Um, yeah. So uh, this is a song called Henrietta's Wedding. ASCAP credits it to uh, Gideon Fagan and Joseph Murray. It appears on a 1955 album called Joseph Murray and Miranda revisit the South African Veld. And it's an album of South African folk songs. Uh, Joseph Murray was the stage name of uh, Joseph P- Pisek, Pisesh. Who knows? 
uh, a South African folk singer who launched his career singing English translations of Afrikaans folk songs for the BBC and put out many, many, many albums. And Miranda was sadly not Carmen Miranda or Lin-Manuel Miranda, (laughs) but uh, his singing partner of 30 years, Rosa de Miranda, who was Dutch. And their performance of the song is actually really charming. I highly recommend looking it up. So yeah, so this is a a duet uh, between a couple of Muppets named Slim Wilson and Lou, and Louise Gold is uh, one of the performers, which is delightful. Yeah, she's rocking out. She's great. She's so comfortable dancing as a Muppet and hamming it up. And she like, after they leave the stage, she sticks her face back on to just get an extra little moment. She's endlessly delightful. It's also like, look, no shade to Frank Oz's performance in that first song, but it's really nice to hear an actual woman who can actually sing well singing the song. Mm. I don't love the song, but her performance of it is really, really lovely. If the song had been half the length, I think I would have liked it a lot better. It just was very repetitive. It's also very misogynistic. Oh, I did not pay attention. Oh, yeah. It's not, it's not good. Yeah, it's very... It's like some lady's getting married and we don't know who she's getting married to, but she's having a wedding where I'll show up and find out. Right? I mean, it's not even that. It's like, she's not even, she's not even getting married, right? It's like, boy, we sure hope she gets married someday. Yeah, the it's gross. If you listen to the full version, uh, it, it's kind of slut shamey. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. Because in this version, I actually got it as like spinster shamey, which is not really any better. But it's a quaint little tune. Sure. Yeah, I did assume that the the idea was like she's fucked so many guys, we don't know which one will be there at the wedding. That <laughs> that's what I came away from. Yeah, this children's television <laughs> program. Is, is, it's the South African version of Mamma Mia. All right, and now for something completely different. It's an original number for the mayhem. On a new set. On a new set. Yeah. This one was called Don't Blame the Dynamite. It was written by Donald George Sam, in quotes, Beaulieu. And looking into him, he passed away in 2008. And according to his obituary, he was a songwriter, singer, piano player, teacher, Sawyer. I I discovered that that means person who saws. I didn't know that Hmm. that was what that means. I mean, it's pretty literal, actually. Theatrical production manager and tree warden, because of course he was. He also went to Tufts. Hey, uh, go Jumbos. <laughs> yeah. And among other things that he did, he w- was a Broadway production manager for O Calcutta. <laughs> I laugh because o-, o Calcutta was a show with naked people in it. That was sort of the gimmick of it. And he was also the studio carpenter for the Montel Williams show. <laughs> Somebody's got to warden the trees and turn them into TV sets. And we're, we're happy that Donald George Sam Bilyeu was there to do the job. Uh, his connection with the Muppets is that he wrote several songs for Sesame Street. So I imagine that's how mm-hmm. this found its way to the Muppet Show. Oh, wow. I freaking love this song. When I realized that this was about to be Don't Blame the Dynamite, I just pumped my fists and yelled. I, I was so excited. This is another one of those that I think I wrote out the lyrics in my diary as a child. They have a lot of meaning for me. What do you mean? Don't blame the dynamite if you can't light the fuse. That's a lesson. Crochet it on a pillow. Okay. 
Yeah, the first verse in particular actually has some punch to it. I was like, woof, yeah. Yeah. Start using it in conversation. Not for me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, luckily, our last number is definitely in the Four Davids column. Very much so. Don't tell me you like that trash. Oh, my hand went to sleep. (laughs) David is Statler. We have our ups and downs, our share of smiles and frowns, but through it all we don't fuss. Why? We got a special thing going, Piggy. (laughs) We got us. Some people like to go through their life single. Oh, that wouldn't suit us at all. That's right. Why sing a melody as a soliloquy when it's more fun to be harmonizing? Look, it's your friend. I love that so much. <laughs> this is We Got Us, which is from a Broadway musical called Golden Rainbow from 1968 that was not a hit exactly. It ran for about a year. The song was written by a guy named Walter Marks, who I discovered also wrote the screenplay of a film version of The Wild Party in the 70s hmm. huh. that had songs in it, apparently. It's a very, very, very loose adaptation of the Joseph Moncure March poem that also inspired two other musicals that are locked in a death match for eternity. It's funny that you call it not exactly a hit because I think of Golden Rainbow as like a notorious flop. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the, the only reason I say that is so there's a really wild really catty chapter about golden rainbow and William Goldman's the season, which is, uh, okay. I I, I can't exactly recommend the season because there are things that are, they're horribly dated and, but it it, it is both a great book and a terrible book. It's great. And that is, it is a very comprehensive snapshot of a Broadway season, but it's extremely dated. So don't necessarily seek it out. But, uh, the, the chapter about, Golden Rainbow uh, is titled Washing Garbage. <laughs> and there were so many things about it that were doomed to failure. It was written as a star vehicle for Steve Lawrence and Edie Gourmet, and Edie Gourmet wasn't an actor. And uh, it was an adaptation of a play called A Hole in the Head by Arnold Schulman. And halfway through the process, Arnold Schulman was fired from it and like disavowed the whole thing. Incidentally, a hole in the head was also made into a 1959 film starring guess who? Who? Noted Joe Posa Stan Frank Sinatra. Mm. Whoa! It all comes back to him eventually. But yeah, even though the the show, you know, was a flop, the song slaps. <laughs> I love this song. Yeah. And it's such a perfect Muppet song. And the Muppets love the song and they performed it in a number of different contexts without Dom DeLuise. And I think they also recorded it for their their second Muppet Show album, also without Dom DeLuise. Yeah, that's the version I have in my head. It's whatever they have in their album that's just them, without all the events of this episode. It's interesting to see Miss Piggy in the Muppet that needs bucking up by the guest star Hmm. spot, because she temperamentally doesn't seem like someone who would... Be buck upable, but it it doesn't take much. She's a showbiz pig at heart. Well, especially when you call in a chorus of of I think all boys to sing behind her. Like it's true, including one rando. Yeah, it's all your friends, like and, Kermit and Fozzy and this guy and that guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's although I think we after we noticed him, we went back and decided that he's the one who delivers flowers to her. 
when she's in the dressing room scene we, with Don Deluise? Well, friend. we think that might be true, but it's still very strange. This he is, is also where random. I decided that they had a budget problem on this episode because, like, they couldn't have, like, they were like, well, this Muppet's already prepped, so we're going to use this whatnot because he's already been in the episode, which I don't think is how Muppet but, casting like, works, just, but... Like, put Zoot there instead? or like, Yeah, any, that's I what mean. I mean. Like, Janice? Like, somebody? <laughs> it's very strange. <laughs> There's a great moment also where all of Piggy's friends come on and Kermit comes and stands center stage right next to Piggy, and she gives him a withering look, and he hops <laughs> a few inches over <laughs> in shame. It's great. So, your friends are here, and Kermit, too. Golden Rainbow, the show that this comes from, also produced the song... I've Gotta Be Me, which uh, was a minor hit, primarily for Sammy Davis Jr., Yeah, even though Steve Lawrence sang it in the show. Never mind that jazz! Listen, turkey! What? And get out of show business? All right, we've got a few pieces of show business to take care of. First, we've got this murdered up sketch. So, as Kermit points out, Dom DeLuise is, in fact, out of this world, and he's so far out of this world that today he's exploring the planet Kuzbane. And there he encounters... Some fuzzy pink creatures named Murdleydops. They pop out of little craters. They blow steam out of their heads. They steal Dom DeLuise's walkie-talkie. They try to steal his watch. They might break his arm, and they eventually kidnap him and make him one of them. It's a good time. You suppose they have any life on other planets? What do you care? You don't have any life on this one. Dom DeLuise's outfit <laughs> in the Coos <laughs> Fan sketch. And also he can breathe on this planet, apparently. Yeah, well, so Kermit. That's that's fine. Uh, and the yeah. Kuzminians can breathe on Earth because they were in the theater last week. So mm, okay. I buy that. That's because they are both M-class planets, which means that they have <laughs> an environment which is breathable for humans. Thanks. See, you're doing Thanks, the voices David. if you're making fun of it, but you also knew it. <laughs> <laughs> I've been and, watching a lot of Star so Trek lately. Us, so it's fine. It's fine. Um, right. No, he's wearing this like amazing tracksuit but like a space tracksuit and it's very 70s he kind of looks like a gender bent rainbow braid oh my gosh yeah a little bit um uh continuing down our path of of being a disney parks podcast and a fashion podcast yeah disney just put out this line of 50th anniversary merch for epcot and and like i if you told me that they based it on don deluise's jacket in this episode i would believe it and also buy it (laughs) it's amazing i love it at the end of the sketch, he gets pulled into the crater and then pops up again, having been somewhat converted into one of the Myrtledops. And so he has a wig on that looks like the top of their head, and he looks just like the backup singers in the beauty school dropout number. <laughs> a little cotton candy hat. Yeah. Well, and now I want to see the the Kuzbanians do Grease. Yeah. All of it. The sketch goes on too long, and now so have we. So, let's so move on. Animal plays a drum solo for about a minute, and then he stops. And another drum beat plays, and he turns around, and it's fine and funny. I don't know what else to say about it. Yeah, no. A couple things I noticed are that his drumsticks look floppy in this, which I guess would make sense because you don't want to put actual sticks in the hands of the Muppet because they could do damage to the prop drum. But something about them being filmed in close-up and watching on a giant television made it really visible to me. He definitely misses the drums, at least, I don't know, half the time he tries to smack them. And one of you pointed out, I think last time we talked about this, that obviously 
we see both his feet, so he can't possibly be playing the oh, bass drum, is. even though we are hearing a bass drum. So I, I just all of the illusion of animal has been ruined for me. I will say it was I was the one who said that, and then I I made the gifts for that episode after we recorded, and he does have pedal. It may not be the bass drum, but his feet are on pedals. So he's at least like there's a hi hat and something else that he is doing with both feet, even though they're super wide. So while it is not actually the way a drummer would sit, they've they've done something to to cheat that reality in a way that I appreciated, but I hadn't noticed when we recorded, and I did notice afterwards. So there's a little bit of his reality back in the Rita Moreno episode. Like he was doing something. Obviously, he was not actually playing the drums, but like like actual sounds were coming out of that drum kit and he was also not sitting the same way. So I don't know. They've changed it. They're workshopping it. I guess they, they just are going to keep giving him solos until they figure it out. I do wonder if, if it's like Ross piano, which often has a live piano player off screen. If, if there's a live drummer working with them or if it's all pre-recorded curious, I get the sense that it was a live drummer from something that we had read earlier in this process. I mean, I know Fever was not. Fever was all recorded. But this is not Fever. This is a very different bit. It is. And we have no answers, so... Shall we move on? We have utterly no choice. Cut the bull and let's talk about Veterinarian's Hospital. All right. Moo! So in in Veterinarian's Hospital this week, uh, the audience is chanting, we want Piggy as she enters. They're throwing flowers at the end of the sketch. They still managed to get up to their usual antics, uh, milking another gag. And this time the patient, as you may have guessed, is a cow. Where did we get this patient from? Oh, well, she was found with a bunch of cows. Not bunch, herd. Herd of what? Herd of cows. Sure, I've heard of cows. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 I mean the cows herd. I don't care if the cows herd. I haven't said anything to be ashamed of. (laughs) (laughs) Are you going to operate? No, I think we've milked this joke long enough. <laughs> oh, oh, look, I have a stake in this too, you know. <laughs> I love the herd of cows gag. It comes up elsewhere in Muppetdom, and I'm always happy to see it. I feel like we've heard it in a previous veterinarian. I think we have. Sketch, but maybe. I don't mind. I'm happy for them to recycle this joke as many times as they feel is necessary. Yeah. This is a great sketch. I think Piggy should always get entrance applause like yeah. this. Yeah. It makes sense to me. I mean, this is peak Vets Hospital, right? This week and last week. Like, these are perfect. I have not, like, what is there to say? This is exactly what I want this to be all the time. And Miss Piggy being the wacky neighbor on this sitcom, getting entrance applause. It all fits. It's just funny to me that part of what makes this sketch so good is that it's fast and it's funny and then it's over. And yet there are at least two other sketches in this episode that just overstay their welcome and would have been so much better if they could have taken that lesson that they clearly knew how to employ for Vets Hospital. Fair enough. Speaking of which, we have a sketch where Dom DeLuise is fundraising for the Shepherd's Institute of Animal Protection. Uh, The animals he's busy protecting are Mean Mama, who needs to be constantly fed, Lunch Encounter Monster, dressed as a baby sitting in a stroller, who needs to be constantly played with, and Dog Lion, who needs to be sung to. This sweetheart of a creature Ooh. loves to be sung to occasionally. Yeah. Otherwise, he gets irritable. Ain't she sweet? <laughs> See her walking down the street. <laughs> and a very nice. <laughs> uh, 
this all ends predictably when the chains and cages containing these monsters all fail. So a couple quick notes about Ain't She Sweet, which is the song that Dom DeLuise attempts to sing uh, several times during this sketch. It's a 1927 Tin Pan Alley song by, yet again, we don't know how his last name is said, Milton Ager, Milton Ager, uh, and Jack Yellen, who are the same guys who wrote uh, Happy Feet. And it, Good for them. Oh, yeah. wow. Hmm. And it's a song uh, that was done both by noted Joe Raposo, Stan Frank Sinatra, and failed skiffle outfit the Beatles. Drink twice, everybody. I was fascinated to learn the Beatles' history with it because it's not a song that I associate with them, but apparently they did it a lot in their early live shows and then recorded it at their first professional recording session in 1961 before Ringo had even joined the band. And at the time, it was released as a single, I think, only in West Germany. And then a few years later, 1964, they released it as an A-side single in both the U.S. and the U.K. So. Who knew? Yeah, it, it's it's a sweet little recording. Yeah. It made me happy to hear this because this, this is a random story. But uh, last summer, we found a cassette tape that my grandfather, who, who died three years ago, had recorded in 1990. It was like right after he'd retired and he was at home bored. And it was like him noodling on the piano and like talking about how much he loved all of us. But like one of the songs that he played on that tape was Ain't She Sweet. So it always makes Aww. me happy to hear it. That's lovely and very it, sweet. Yeah, it was it was a really special thing to find. Well, I don't want to want to follow your special thing with this, but that this sketch is I find very tedious. Oh yeah, no, it's terrible. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it was weird to like suddenly have like really warm feelings during a sketch where I was just like, oh, we get it already. Yeah, and it's like you know, I it's like I know that like this 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 particular type of chaos is is a thing that both the Muppets and Dom DeLuise do, and like they do it well. But it just keeps going, and you know where it's going the moment it starts. And I was trying to be like, okay, well, what if I were a child? No, I think I would still know where it was going the moment yeah, I mean, it starts. And it, like, it's a retread. It's a thing that uh, happened in the Don Knotts yeah. episode. Like, and it's just, it just gets this. so it gets so loud. <laughs> it does. I mean, I was I was stressed on his behalf certainly when I saw this as a kid, and I was stressed on his behalf when I saw it as an adult. But also, I was appreciating his performance and how much fun he was having and how pretty all these monsters are to look at. I, I can recognize that it went on too long, but also they got really into their antics. I'm not totally opposed to that. Yeah. There's something too about it being like the frame of it is that it's like an adoption agency. And like, especially it's like we, we're all, or like three of us are pet people. <laughs> Like, I actually found that very stressful, too. It's like, you're terrible at this. No. Do you, do you think if, if this were made today, that it would have, like, Sarah McLachlan played underneath it? Well, and that would be a better joke. <laughs> I do like that it uses what I think of as, like, the B-team monsters. Yes. You know, like, I, not that I don't love and want to see more of Sweetums and Thog and whatever, but I like that... You know, these are monsters who I think were all introduced in season two, and now we're getting to know them a little better. Yeah, they're coming off the bench. Oh, that's fair. Lunch Encounter does make a cute baby. I wouldn't mind this show if they just got rid of one thing. What's that? Me? (laughs) 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Muppeturgy. Barring any surprise holiday presents from us, we'll be back in 2022 to discuss the Bernadette Peters episode. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Muppeturgy or on the web at Muppeturgy.com. If you like what we're doing, please spread the word and offer a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. Our theme music was composed and performed by Christy Bauer. Our show logo was created by Todd Byron Backus. And this episode was edited by me, David Lowe. Who's lightning? Go, who's lightning? <laughs> no. <laughs> there are worse things. Uh-huh. Yep, there we go. <laughs> it's a real koozie wagon. <laughs> <laughs> I knew <laughs> I knew I could count on you. <laughs> uh.